Welcome to the New Habits Podcast, where executives and MVPs from Microsoft Partners discuss the Microsoft Teams application and its use in enterprises. Hello, everybody, and welcome to uh, this week's uh, edition of New Habits. Um, we're picking up with uh, Victor Velen, Wes Hackett, and Paul Schaeflein, our resident MVPs, uh, as we just pass Microsoft Teams' second birthday. Um, from launch two years ago, where Microsoft Teams was a little more than a single hub where we could chat, um, work on files together, run some meetings, we now uh, have this beast of an application where we can run things like live events uh, and announce this week was uh, plans to integrate Microsoft Teams or rather Microsoft's Kzala application into the Microsoft Teams interface. So um, we're going to take today's session to dive a bit deeper into live events and what that Kzala integration means. And then we'll have a look at some of the forthcoming capabilities, the new calendar app, live captions and customized backgrounds that have been uh, announced in the last few weeks. So, um, Microsoft uh, Live Events have been uh, made generally available now across Microsoft Teams Stream or Yammer. Uh, and within the Microsoft Teams application, that Live Events capability can be used to broadcast to audiences of up to 10,000 attendees. Um, the plan is that uh, the capability will allow uh, audiences to uh, engage in things like town halls and to provide feedback on things that are going on within an organization um, using moderated uh, live Q&A during the live event. So all parts of the process from scheduling a live event, inviting attendees, producing that event, presenting and then managing the recording and reports can be done through um, that that. Teams application. Um, so, handing over to our distinguished panel, it would be great to get your thoughts on the new live events capability. Live events, they're pretty cool. I think the, um, the big win is how easy it is for the communications teams now to uh, get started with, you know, fairly high broadcast quality um, cross-company broadcast uh, from what we've seen you know starting at a team level and then you know doing that to a local business team right the way up to you know 10,000 people attending onto that stream session the, how I think people need to position live events is really uh, an interesting um, communications and internal communications teams um, workload I think the thing that I'm seeing a lot of interest in by those particular groups is, you know, how to stand up for one of those live events, both from a technical point of view, but also how to make sure that you dry run, that you make sure the broadcast quality is um, good enough and how um, to, to market the event internally. You know, it's the first time that people feel that there's been an on-platform broadcast service that's worthy of being used so they're kind of looking at how it all integrates and how to market those events and where to put them on the intranet for um you know post event watching that kind of stuff so it's opened up a whole new uh, area to explore in office 365 for a number of business teams i agree i think it's a really cool solution um, I, I will probably not be the one producing them but what impressed me the most is the actual uh, production tools they have and how they you actually can work with with the live events as a 
in a proper production, so to say, and also integrate that with the third-party tools when you need to do that kind of uh, videos, overlays, and you mix in with audio and, and all that kind of stuff. So I'm pretty sure you can do pretty stellar um, productions with uh, live events. Um, but yeah, I don't think it will be for every one of us. Uh, most companies will most likely disable that for everyone to create. So if you are in a tenant where, where, where it's not disabled, you essentially go in and create a new meeting and then choose to do a live meeting. But for most uh, companies I see, they will not enable it for everyone to, to start with at least. And it requires some thorough training to actually work with that since it is a professional production uh, interface when you work with it. Yeah, I think it was interesting seeing all of the um, parts about the encoding, uh, you know, choosing your encoder and sticking that into the pipeline and, you know, becoming a, a proper directed um, presentation, which is stuff that, you know, um, many larger organizations have internal film crew style teams going around and producing. I know if you've ever been involved in a Microsoft Tech Days Online or, or one of those style of events, you know, you stood in front of a real camera crew going through lots of streaming boxes, lots of cables around your feet uh, as you do these kind of events. So it's uh, it's really exciting to see that some of this is now being put into the hands of organisations that haven't traditionally had those um, those kind of level of studio style uh, you know setups that they can actually get going with a really high broadcast quality um, setup. Now there is a, a fairly steep learning curve if you want to sort of jump into that end in terms of looking at the encoding, getting getting all the technical bells and whistles turned on in the right way. Um, but, you know, it's it's part of your service you're subscribing to, which is pretty awesome. And, I, and looking at the technology behind it, it's hosted on the Azure Media Services, which is a proven platform. I mean, they've hosted the Olympics streaming on that, that platform in the past as well. So it does bring some heavy-duty, powerful capabilities to all organizations. One of the things that I find... Um, kind of kind of quite neat but also from a developer's point of view you know taking the developer angle for a, for a second you've obviously got the kind of crew view the backstage view of the conversations and you've also got the um, participant question and answer thread and conversational thread and it was interesting you know speaking to some of the stream team um, Christina Taruk um, one of the stream um, product teams uh, members and sh she was sort of describing these two capabilities and how they they provide you know backstage and, and front stage experiences but actually when you think about where they are from an api point of view it's very hard to work out currently where those two conversational threads appear and you know we've got the ability in teams to pull in teams messages but they're not in that they they, they, they seem to be in a in a bucket all of their own that ha as of yet hasn't got a, an api that certainly i can find um to be able to interact with it um, so where do we see the relationship between running a live event in Teams versus Yammer? Because Simple Old Me had the sort of delineation of if I was a communications team, I wanted to get content out to the whole organization, I might use something like Yammer Events. Um, but perhaps if I'm, you know, launching or, or um, want to do a pre-launch of a product internally, uh, I might uh, run that from Teams so that I can get input from my direct team on that content. Um, but isn't it the case that you could use either for either? Is this a sort of artificial drawing of the lines? Um, because I do note that Microsoft are calling it 
you know, Microsoft 365 live events. It just happens that you can use that within any application. Where where are we going to be? How are we going to be guiding customers uh, on the use of this capability? Like all things in Microsoft 365, it, it depends. I, I, I'm not sure that I would think that these events are going to drive customers to one platform or another. I think it's more a case of what is your organizational culture. If your organization is using Yammer and you want to bring meetings to the people, that certainly is worthwhile. If you're not, you don't. it's not a requirement, right? So I, I, I think that's good. And I can imagine that um, the production of these events might be done internally, but maybe I want to share it on a broader scale later. So being able to use Teams to generate or create a meeting or a live event and then show the recording through the Yammer can be helpful. But I think that's, I don't see this as a, a way to push customers to one tool or another, rather access your stuff from anywhere. Yeah, I think it's the in the loop, out the loop kind of question, but uh, also the, the idea of having it in both platforms is great because there are some clients that are heavily users of Jammer already, so they can continue using that for their larger and uh, networks within the enterprise. And those who come on new to the platform just perhaps don't doesn't want to move to Jammer. They do all, everything in Teams, so it's great to have that flexibility and not driving us towards a certain platform. Yeah, and I think there's a. I mean, there's a huge uh, detail example um, in the MS Docs live events in Microsoft 365 is the title of the article, and and it has a, a big feature breakdown by service. Um, you know, for example, you, depending on what you started the live event in, depends on how you have to consume it, how it can be played back. So again, you know, being familiar with the the technology and the channel and this where you start that channel delivery based on the outcome you're looking for as a business you know if you have a, a large uh, campus of employees that are using yammer you know you've got a 60,000 person organization you know even with the upper thresholds of the live events not meeting quite that level of scale you might decide to host it via the yammer live event so that you've you know you've got in the platform where the the bulk of the employees going to be able to access it so so i think there's a there's a really strong need for the organization to both upskill in the technology side of how these things work where they're set up how they're secured etc as well as thinking about the internal comms aspect of rolling rolling the pre-meeting meeting and then post-meeting activities out to the organization where the audience sits how they're going to consume the content Okay, thank you for your thoughts on uh, live events. And I'm sure we'll start to see uh, a trickle of case studies uh, from Microsoft where customers have uh, been using that tool uh, in due course. Um, announced last Thursday was also um, the integration of Microsoft's Kzala tool. Microsoft Kzala, for those of you that don't know, is something that Microsoft uh, refer to as open loop uh, in that it allows organizations to communicate beyond their uh, traditional security boundary uh, with individuals that register by their mobile number. So, for example, if you were a retailer with um, temporary Christmas holiday staff, you may give those guys access to a Kzala group so that you can share communications with them for a short period of time. There are global examples of local authorities canvassing uh, opinion using the Kzala app um, to their constituents because uh, I think you can have up to a million 
people in a Kaisala group, making it um, a, a real broadcast uh, tool. Um, so, Kaisala can also um, do things like shift management, at, and it is a free service in its current form. So, for some, the introduction that this would be integrated to the Microsoft Teams service has come as a little bit of a surprise. So, I'm going to throw it straight out to the floor um, to uh, get your thoughts on how uh, the integration of Kaisala, which is usually used for contract workers, vendors, suppliers, citizens, um, coming into uh, the, the sort of team service can perhaps help or hinder uh, organizations. First of all, let me start. I think it's great that they're actually doing something with Kaisala. Uh, it's having that as a separate service. First of all, it, it has not been a good uh, um, good marketing stunt, uh, at least not for, for the clients I'm talking about. I get constant questions about what it's Kaisala, should we use it instead or should we use something else? So I think that's great that they finally, or at least they're putting, trying to get these kind of sort of similar products together. There's some major differences between Kaisala, as you explained how you use them first of all, but also in terms of features. So I'm really looking forward to see how they can actually merge these two very, so, to some extent, different services together. Uh, the, what I see, the, the only common thing they have is the chat experience, I would say, right now. Kaisala has so much more, as you said, mentioned shifts, and they have surveys, they had forms, and a lot of other stuff as well. So uh, if you're on Kaisala right now, I think it would be quite a big migration path going over to Teams and perhaps replace all the functions within Kaisala with other services in Office 365. So I'm, I'm curious to see how that goes. Uh, but yeah, I can't explain uh, talk to that much. I haven't used Kaisala more than tried to chat with some friends in it. And so I don't have that deep experience of it. What, what the first thing that strikes me is that we are already struggling with teams across uh, security boundaries, aka different tenants, or if I have multiple accounts, and now we're adding this less secure Kaisala offering. And I'm a little worried that it'll it'll be messy before it gets better. So I'm hopeful that they can solve that or, or maybe I don't need to jump across tenants. I can just use Kaisal and, and eliminate that problem. So I guess we'll see. So that, that's my big my big uh, thing to watch is how how organization data stays secure across mm -hmm. these boundaries, if at all. Well, I think it, it's a, it's an interesting positioning when you, you think about the non-Microsoft platforms that it may be competing with. I mean, you know, how many of your customers, uh, I'm not, uh, well, I'm not sure WhatsApp is quite as big in the US as it is maybe on in Europe, but how many customers you visit who are coordinating meetings, chats, using WhatsApp, you know, and it's keyed off the telephone number and they're doing proper business decision making in, in WhatsApp groups across 30 or 40 people. I think it's, it's it's an interesting byproduct of the the kind of restrictions that IT and security teams threw at SharePoint Online and some of the other Office 365 services by turning them off as defaults. People found a way to continue to work in a free form chat base, and you know this this has been in existence since before Teams really had its big push 12 months ago. Um, so so I, I think it's good that Kazala is coming into Office 365 as a, as, a, as a proper integration. And I'm quite excited actually to dig deeper into the developer story. I mean, I think the, the idea that you can have outreach business processes integrated into Kazala that, you know, you're 
your identity problem is different, not gone away, but it's different. And, and therefore, it's going to present us some, some fairly interesting opportunities with, with certainly customers who have a transient workforce, not necessarily retail being the only, the only sort of industry that has that. You know, there's a lot of freelancing now in the gig economy and moving out um, people from having full-time jobs. You know, how many people work in creative industry type jobs who are working three days a week because they choose to? You know, it's a, it's a gig economy for some now. And, and this sort of technology platform allows some of the agencies and, and types of organizations to take advantage of that. And of course, with, with the ability to do integrations, it could be quite exciting, I think, to, to see what, what people can come up with with the developer platform for that part of the uh, ecosystem. I, I think it's a mixed bag. I think the positive is that we're doing away with yet another brand name, Kozala. Uh, I think it's, you, you know, an, an eternal source of confusion for customers that there are these different services with different names um, because to most people's mind, it, it creates the idea that they are distinct and they have to be treated separately. Whereas if it's just stuff, if it's just functionality, it becomes much easier to help customers move the dial uh, and to make use of the tools that, uh, that they need for the job trying to do. I think going back to my opening remarks, the thing that there's still a bit of a question mark for me is how usable Teams is going to be if it starts to become this single UI for everything in the platform. Um, you know, it began with just the chat files, uh, you know, the ability to add a sort of third party um, tab in there. Um, if we We've talked about live events. We're looking at uh, Kzala integration. Is there a danger that there can be so much stuff going on in this UI um, that actually organizations start asking partners um, for something separate, a really simple UI back in SharePoint? Oh, my God, it's Groundhog Day, right? You know, where suddenly we've gone full circle and people want the simplicity back. Because I know from the sort of on the ground rollouts that, that we do with organizations into teams, what's already there at a really basic level is quite a lot um, for people to get their head around. Uh, that's with a lot of stuff switched off. So, um, you know, is this going to become a hindrance to people rolling out that service or is it going to be a help? Um, for me, the, 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 there's still a big question mark over that. Well, I think from, from from my perspective on this, I think seeing you know seeing firsthand rollout workshops and and getting teams on board, the problem is not there's a missing service in the Teams app or there's the need for another scenario. It's you know the continual gap in the basics compared with the things they're used to. It's not necessarily that Teams is better or worse. It's just different. People have come from Skype for Business and Outlook. They're very separate experiences for IM and content. They're coming into Teams where they've got SharePoint content and and conversations. The, the user experiences are just very different. And, and, you know, seeing the upcoming sort of feature changes and some of the UI changes that Teams app is making is is, is a welcome one for me. I mean, I, I don't necessarily think it's 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 not it's not single pane of glass fatigue that I see day in, day out. It's frustrations with the, the kind of look and the way that the Teams app works, not necessarily what it can do um, that really hampers hampers the adoption on the ground. 
lots and lots of people, you know, have, have continually complained about sizes of icons, how obvious buttons are, and they're, they're being addressed. These things are all kind of known to the team's team. It's not like a, a new story for them, but it, but it's those sort of things. Nobody sort of sits there and says, well, actually, what we really needed is a, you know, a coffee-making machine and put as part of the team's app, um, you know, which I'm sure is a partner opportunity for someone. So what you're saying essentially is Teams is a new SharePoint a couple of years ago, so we used SharePoint for everything. We built everything in it. We integrated everything in it. And that's where Teams is going now. Going away from that simple kind of, this is what I need to do with chat collaboration, meetings and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think so. It's it but it's but it's not it's not the it's not the first thing that hampers the rollout. So I think that the, it's easy to put all the tools in in the, the new shiny thing. Um, but it, but you know it's still not addressing some of the core problems when you're a business user of what you're trying to do. You know you can have all the tools in the world, but if you're still got a broken business process, then they're looking for simplicity. And especially mobile. I mean, we had conversations with some customers in the recent weeks where mobility is a big story for them. You know, they they where you'd get a designer to do a a, a big application design, and they 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 want the Apple mantra of where three buttons would be in the Microsoft product. Give us the one button in the Apple product. So it's a, a less is more. I'm, you know, seeing the movement to that. So I think Susie's got a very valid point around, uh, you know, we're, we're starting to see some organisations actually branching off the team's Kool-Aid and, and starting to ad- ad- address the problem with other parts of the platform because actually they can simplify it. I think I think the watchword for for most organisations is simplicity. Um, we hear it over and over and over again, and the concern I have is that Teams is almost potentially in the future going to pull in in a different direction to that. Um, today, you know, the sort of chat file experience it is quite simple and. I second your comments, Wes, around some things needing to be tidied up and made a bit smarter. Something like the, you know, files UI, the difference between that experience in SharePoint versus Teams is an example of where we need to bring things into line a little bit more. Um, so, yeah, that's an area I would like to see uh, improvement. Um, but in terms of requests to bring more and more and more into that, that's definitely a Microsoft-driven um, vision as opposed to something that I think is coming from customer de- demand uh, where we tend to see people asking for simple and comprehensive. Well, can you do simple and comprehensive easily? That That's obviously going to be a struggle. And and I, I'm I'm a little scared of the opposite of your statement. I, I'm I'm afraid that the Teams team just keeps reacting to customer requests and and it gets even more fractured and crazy. Uh, so, so a great example is the the file experience is from SharePoint and people can have been clamoring for the ability to customize the file experience using the SharePoint web pages. So if I do that and I customize it in SharePoint, are my customization is going to show up in Teams? And and if they do, then the expectation is, well, I, now I want to change the Outlook or the Wiki inside of Teams. And and, and where does it stop? And, and there's already issues in the GitHub repo about, I want to be able to change the UI of Teams like I can change the UI in SharePoint. So I, I don't I don't know that we're going to coalesce into something simple. I think it's going to just we're certainly on a trajectory of SharePoint where it gets kind of out of control before people take a step back. So, 
I really disagree. I think if Microsoft were and the Teams team were really responding to user needs, uh, a lot of these more basic um, requirements of moving across tenants, you know, decent guest access, um, that sort of comprehensive files experience across different services would have been addressed a lot earlier. I I mean, let's not forget that there are, um, we haven't had a podcast on this yet, but there are industry apps available now as well. So there's all kinds of really advanced stuff being developed um, when that more basic stuff that I think people who have been using uh, Teams have asked for is actually in progress, um, but not off the line yet, uh, where I think that stuff should probably have come in a little bit earlier. And as Wes mentioned, a lot of these things are being addressed right now. And since we last had had a podcast, we actually been to Seattle, all of us in different shapes or forms and, and met with the product group. So we've seen what they are trying to fix when it comes to the baseline, but also what they're trying to add in, to- in terms of new features, etc. And uh, adding Kaisala into the mix here is just another bunch of features they can add to it. So I think they need to, uh, I, I would recommend them to take a step back and, and rethink a lot of what they're doing, not just adding new features on top of it, because then we are going to end up just like SharePoint. So adding more and more features on top of it and top of it, and then essentially it's horrible to work with in the end. And on that note, uh, if we look to the future, um, we uh, I think lots of people picked up on the announcement that the new calendar app is going to be rolling out um, this month, uh, replacing the existing meetings app with the calendar app. Um, so word on the street is that uh, this will bring meetings much more into line with the calendar experience we used to uh, in Outlook. So perhaps there is signs, there are signs of uh, simplicity and rational uh, sort of thinking and not just uh, new for new's sake. Um, so first, it would be uh, great to get uh, your guys' uh, input on that before we, we talk about live captions. Well, why, why did team ship with a calendar experience that was fundamentally different from Outlook in the first place? So I, I I, I think your statement almost proves my point that they, they're doing new stuff and people are yelling that's not what they want and they have to go back and revisit. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I hope I'm hope I hope I hope I love teams. I hope it gets there. But it's it, that's a little that's one more data point in my worry of we're going to have crazy for a while. And also what's stopping them to add the inbox as well to uh, Microsoft Teams. So we don't have to use Outlook at all. <laughs> well, that would be the exchange team. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I would say, yeah. So I think it's good to have a calendar experience. The, the, the one they have right now is subpar. It doesn't do much. And I I think I booked a couple of meetings using Microsoft Teams, but I prefer to use Outlook where I have all the features that I need and all the calendars, calendars that I need, etc. And I can see more than seven days ahead, for instance. Such a simple thing. Okay, and live captions. Uh, this is a capability that's uh, coming soon uh, in preview, so it's not actually readily available yet, um, but it's going to support um, those Teams attendees who are perhaps deaf or, or hard of hearing. So it would be good to talk about this, and actually I'd also like people's thoughts on accessibility um, in general within Teams and the Office 365 platform. Uh, there was a long period of time in which 
uh, you couldn't answer an RFP or talk to a customer without them asking what's the accessibility standard. Um, that certainly um, sort of culturally almost uh, isn't the case anymore. So um, this is an interesting development, but also I'd love to hear your thoughts on what's happened within the market that accessibility has gone from something that was top of people's agendas um, to uh, not so much nowadays. Well, I, I'm, actually, I'm not sure that it's not top of mind for anybody at the moment. I mean, the whole e ecosystem is quite rightly focusing quite heavily on diversity, inclusion and, and access technologies. I was fortunate enough a long time ago to, to do two and a half years building intranet website and e-commerce platform for Royal National Institute of the Blind. And I have to say, it's one of the highlights of my career was was training 20 or so um partially sighted and, and non-sighted individuals to, 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 to work with SharePoint at the time. It was 2010 uh, on-premises. Um, so, so I think I think as a, as a developer, you, you have a huge responsibility to consider those technologies and, and, and inclusion requirements in every aspect of the software that you design. Um, you know, all too often, software is designed to work on a 24 inch wide monitor or a 3000 pixel wide um, iMac and and that's the last the developer thinks of it um, but you know we really do have a responsibility to make sure those that require uh, inclusive technologies whether that be screen readers or magnification technologies or, or you know simple things like color color contrast you know that those things are taken into account because it's no good having a really sexy uh, you know designed uh, set of overlay pictures if you haven't bothered putting the alt tags and and for the most part office 365 certainly sharepoint online you know it meets a lot of the requirements that 10 years ago would have been hugely costly to implement and therefore were kind of often brushed aside by by organizations without sort of finances to back that investment whereas today to be accessible is not going to break the bank it, it's it's just making sure if you're using the out-of-box modern sharepoint experience that you're doing content correctly you're heading structures you know one h1 one you know followed by h2 so are you saying so are you saying that uh, are you saying that it's not appearing on anyone's wish list because it's the standard now it's everywhere it's so ubiquitous that actually um people are generally accessible so they don't need to ask for it well, I think I think it's it's not appearing as a separate line item in RFP type situations, or it's not a tick box exercise anymore. Because any organisation worth their salt, this is part of their DNA now. They're actually, you know, their their stance is we are inclusive, not we're inclusive if we can afford it. And I think that's that's a huge pat on the back to Microsoft as a technology provider that the tools that they give us today have got such a high baseline of that technology in it that we can actually build upon it and we can get going with with the real business problem without you know solving some fundamental engineering that was m meaning that we had to spend time building those pieces i mean it's 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 really really nice and and, and heartwarming to, to to think that those those uh, pieces are actually already in the platform i like to think that microsoft has led us developers into the pit of success in this regard right so i i get warnings if i don't put 
those alternative uh, display technologies in my code and and the services that are available now looping back into teams right if i write a bot it's not too terribly difficult to to integrate with the the voice service or cognitive services so if someone can't see a screen they want to talk to a bot we can handle that. So they've done a great job on that. And I wonder if if Microsoft's efforts to raise the accessibility capabilities of the whole platform have reduced the need for people to explicitly call it out because the mo- most of what they're getting from Microsoft has what they need. And then it's just a matter of making sure that as things get developed, uh, we, we play by those rules. So I think that, the, that that's just my hunch is that Microsoft has done a lot of that work for us. And, and so it's less uh, less of a line item. So I think actually Microsoft done a pretty good uh, work when it comes to how we can do this kind of diversity and inclusion and whatnot. But they actually made a really good job for us developers. So if you take a look at, for instance, going to some technical details, how they built Office UI Fabric, it's built with those kind of things, to, uh, as you mentioned, Wes, uh, to support us adding those old titles and stuff and, the, and that whole ARIA suite. Uh, I think you pronounced ARIA in, in English as well, but all that kind of stuff. Teams came with the Immersive Reader a couple of months ago as well. So they have a lot of those features in there. And also, if you take a look at the uh, Microsoft Teams React Control Library, they support that uh, black and white uh, light theme, but also the high contrast theme without you as a developer having to spend that much time with it. So going back to, to what you said, Wes, as well, I thought, Yes, I think it's super important for our clients to have this, but it's so much easier for us to build those kind of solutions today. So they more or less assume that it will be built for for everyone, even though you're visually impaired or hearing impaired. So and you mentioned, Paul, about bots there. We, from the get-go, the bot had the speech in it, so it actually can speak to you instead of just having that text kind of thing. So I think they've done a good job, except if we take a look at the new icons, right? If you're if you're colorblind, they're really hard to distinguish between the different kind of uh, icons. Okay, thank you for that. So the, the last sort of forthcoming item I wanted to uh, talk about today was customized backgrounds. So uh, we know that a few months back, Microsoft released the ability to blur backgrounds. Um, we now have customized backgrounds or wallpapers. So again, this is something that's coming soon. Um, the sort of sell on this has been that it allows participants to select a more professional background. Um, but I have an inclination people are going to have a lot more fun with it than that. Um, I'm, I have my uh, cat wallpaper being designed as we speak. Um, what, what's everybody's view on this? I, I, I know that this sort of broadly would sit under the umbrella of, you know, gamification, making things a bit more pleasant, a bit more fun to engage with. Um, we know that uh, emojis, it's obviously a very consumer item, have uh, are really popular within the workplace as well. So um, how can we sort of understand this fashion for, uh, you know, more sort of lighthearted, enjoyable capabilities? Because this is not really the traditional domain of um, an entity like Microsoft, it? Well, it's the it's the trendy the trendy physical office manifestation into the digital office. Right? I mean, how many how many trendy offices do you go in now that have got you know astroturf grass on the floor and Minecraft swings and slides and whatever? And yeah, and Victor's pointing to his home office, which is covered in very very nice art. You know, so so it's, I think it's a manifestation of of the the physical expectations around you know office. I mean, I I, I think there's going to be some very funny community con- co- uh, competitions about who can come up with the most amazing background. I will have a big picture of Paul. 
I am 100% incapable uh, of answering this question. I think it's all distractions and don't bother me. Just let me write my code. So I don't get it. <laughs> Turn off the camera yeah. if you don't have a good background. No, I think but it's that's just me being an old man. To me, that, that is the, the background blur. Uh, the, the image is such, that that's just a technology thing they're exploring with. And, and uh, so what, what really this leads me to is what they're actually doing with the, this capability of using the video camera and understanding where you are is that the whiteboard features that they, they announced as well a couple of weeks ago when you can point your camera to a whiteboard and actually paint on it and it's a regular webcam you use and that it's getting transcribed into the actual whiteboard app and that's the real use case of using this technology so the background thing yes it's fun i will try, probably try it one or twice once or twice but uh, that the, the whiteboard thing that's where the technology really shines when they, they use this must be for the MacBook users without their touch screen, right? There's, yeah, exactly, there's, yeah. there's more advanced <laughs> surface users with our stylus we can draw on. Okay, thank you everybody for uh, your contributions this week. Um, we're going to uh, be running our next session with Christian Mayer from the Microsoft Teams team, who will be under interrogation from myself, Paul, um, uh, Wes and Co. So, we look forward to seeing you, speaking with you then. The New Habits Podcast is produced by Add-in365. Thank you to Victor Villain for participating. Please leave a review in iTunes along with a five-star rating. We appreciate your support. Thank you for listening.